Let us pray. God, open our hearts and our minds that we might hear your invitation in fresh and new ways this morning. Amen. As you were driving to church this morning, I wonder what you noticed. Maybe you noticed the beautiful mountains. We certainly did on our drive down here this morning. Or maybe you noticed a jackrabbit hopping across your path. Or maybe you noticed your children's joyful sounds in the back seat. My child would not stop talking this morning, I have to say. (laughs) She was talking nonstop. Or perhaps you noticed everybody seemed a bit cranky on the way here. Maybe you didn't notice anything at all. Maybe you were just on autopilot. What did you notice? From uh, working with John Pentland at Hillhurst United Church for the past seven years, I've, I've learned one thing. He, if you've experienced John, you know this already, but he loves for people to talk with one another because he's always about building community. And so he often says, we come to church and we are not to be in an elevator And maybe you get the analogy. You know when you get in an elevator and you don't like make eye contact with anybody and you just stand there and you don't say anything at all? He says that's not what we do in church. We are not in an elevator. And so what he um, has us do often is he poses a question for us and then he invites us to talk to one another. So I'm sorry, I'm going to do that to you this morning if you'll play along. So here's the question. What did you notice on your way to church this morning? Okay, so just I'll invite you to turn to somebody next to you. If you don't know them, introduce yourself. I don't know any, I only know like one person here today. So introduce yourself, say, I noticed this. And we'll only take a minute to do this, I promise you. So what did you notice? And if you really don't want to play along, then you can go get a cup of coffee or something. (laughs) All right, so what did you notice this morning? What did you notice this morning? The geese in the pond. Oh! Yeah, just on 22 X. I'm going to go over to Jackie, too. Okay. Oh, thank you. Yeah. We'll go over here to Jackie. What did you notice, Jackie? I noticed the mountain. Just coming over that one hill at 37. Just always makes my heart sore. And I was saying, I I noticed the geese in the pond just over on the right side of the highway. And they were gulls coming over. Gulls, yeah. And I remember those. What did you notice? I noticed the mountains this morning, too. We were in Canmore yesterday, and we all said, we wish we were there. <laughs> all right, I promise just a minute. Thank you. See, now I can't get you back together. Thanks for playing along with that. One of the contemplative practices in our tradition is to pay attention, to notice, to look for the ways that God is present in our world, in our lives and in the lives of others and in our joys and in our sorrows and all around us in the natural world. And sometimes I think we're quite aware of this presence, and other times, myself included, we are totally oblivious to it, right? Because we're busy or we have other things going on, and it takes practice and intention to notice things. The people of ancient times noticed things about the divine, and we know some of what they experienced because somebody 
wrote down some of their experiences and they collected them and compiled them into what we call our sacred texts. And what we find from what we have is that those ancient ancestors noticed and experienced the divine in many, many ways. There are literally hundreds of metaphors for God in our scriptures. We get words like omnipotent and omnipresent and king and ruler because people experienced God as expansive and so much vaster than any words could describe. And so from our text, we get a sense that God is beyond our wildest imagination. And because people also experienced God in intimate ways, we get words like friend and spirit, love and breath. The intimate experience of the divine led the theologian Augustine in the 4th century to describe God's relationship with us as close as our breath. The experience of the divine is as wide and as diverse as our experiences are. But, as is our way, the church decided to get into there and and come up with a doctrine about who God is. And through committees and meetings and arguments, and you know where this is going, don't you? A council in the 4th century determined that the church would understand God in three ways, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And sometimes we interpret um, this as creator, redeemer, sustainer. And so even today, the church sets aside a Sunday every year to honor this doctrine, this way of describing God. And so here we are, Trinity Sunday. Maybe you didn't know that at all. It's one of those Sundays sometimes we skip. And so what do we do with this ancient doctrine in 2018? Do we throw it out? Do we look at it in its historical context? What do we do with it? I was thinking about that this week, and I wasn't sure if you were highly liturgical and followed all the, the Sundays in the church year, and so I, I, I took a stab at it because I, I found out that I don't think I'm ready to throw it out completely. I believe that it represents truth, truth in the sense that it comes from people's real experiences of the divine. And so what I wondered this week was whether we might try on the Trinity as an invitation to notice. How might we notice these aspects of God around us in our lives? There are lots of ways you might practice noticing this. You might journal or meditate or pray through the Psalms or or any other way. But I thought that this morning I would share how I tried to notice more this week. I have an interest in mindful photography. Maybe you've heard of this. It's a bit countercultural. Most of us take millions of pictures on our phones, don't we? We take pictures of our food and our lattes and our pets and our patio furniture and beautiful things and mundane things and everything in between. I took a picture of this to put on Facebook this morning. <laughs> but with mindful photography, the challenge is to take just one photo a day. Could you do that? It's very intentional. Instead of snapping the first things that you see, the challenge is to search and take time to notice and to reflect on what you're trying to capture. And so I thought I would challenge myself this week to use the Trinity and use the Trinity as my subject. It's kind of a spiritual practice. And so I took the Trinity, God as creator and redeemer and sustainer, and I found a scripture as a starting point. And then I um, spent some time reflecting on the theme, paying attention to where I noticed this, And then I took a picture to illustrate the theme. And so the first theme, God as creator. 
Perhaps the most famous passages of God as creator are found in Genesis, of course. There are two creation stories, probably from two different traditions, two different experiences. We're going to hear one of these stories this morning. It's a long one. So if you'd like, close your eyes and just listen to the story. All right, here we go. Thank you, Gloria, for playing along with us this morning. In the beginning... When God created the heavens and the earth, the earth earth was a formless void, and the darkness covered the face of the deep, while a wind from God swept over the face of the waters. Then God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning, the first day. And God said, Let there be a dome in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. So God made the dome and separated the waters that were under the dome from the waters that were above the dome, and it was so. God called the dome sky. And there was evening, and there was morning, the second day. And God said, Let the waters under the sky be gathered together into one place, and let the dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth. And the waters that were gathered together he called seas. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let the earth put forth vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees of every kind on earth that bear fruit with the seed in it. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seeds of every kind, and the trees of every kind bearing fruit with the seed in it. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning, the third day. And God said, Let there be lights in the dome of the sky to separate the day from the night, and let them be the signs for be for signs and for seasons and for days and years, and let them be lights in the dome of the sky to give light upon the earth. And it was so. God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. God set them in the dome of the sky to give light upon the earth, to rule over the day and over the night, and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the fourth day. And God said, Let the waters bring forth swarms of living creatures, and let birds fly above the earth across the dome of the sky. So God created the great sea monsters and every living creature that moves of every kind, with which the waters swarm, and every winged bird of every kind. And God saw that it was good. God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply multiply, and fill the waters in the seas and let birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning, the fifth day. And God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures of every kind, cattle and creeping things and wild animals of the earth of every kind. And it was so. God made the wild animals of the earth of every kind, and the cattle of every kind, and everything that creeps upon the ground of every kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, 
Let us make humankind in our image, according to our likeness, and let them have a dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the wild animals of the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. So God created humankind in his image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful, and multiply, and fill the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves upon the earth. God said, See, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is upon the face of all the earth, and every tree with seed and its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the air, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw everything that he had made, and indeed it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all their multitude. And on the seventh day God finished the work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all the work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and hallowed it, because on it God rested from all the work that he had done in creation. I think we say, hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. In this myth, we have the beautiful story of God intentionally creating and providing and birthing our world. You may recall that in our United Church of Canada creed, we affirm that God has created and is creating. It isn't just a one-time event, but rather an ongoing process. God has created and is creating. So where did I notice this? This week I noticed it in the ways that my garden is coming back to life after a long winter. I noticed it in the flowers that just seem to be blooming in brilliant displays of God's creativeness. Several times this week I was stopped in my tracks as I noticed just how fast that grass is growing. I noticed it in the rain, the little bit that we had, the life-giving rain that helps create new life. I noticed it also in the pictures coming from the island of Hawaii, the volcanic work that is active there, the lava flows that are creating, even as we sit here this morning. And the picture that I took is is this one. Here it is. This is from our garden. We had to cut back this plant all the way down this year, and I keep asking my husband, are you sure it's going to grow back? (laughs) Are you sure it's going to grow back? And it's beginning to grow back. It reminds me that regeneration, renewal, creation is all around us, ready for us to notice and to participate in it. And so I wonder how God's creating spirit might be working in us and through us. Are there places in us that are ready to be cut back so that they can be nurtured to grow in different ways? Where are we a work in progress? How are we creating spaces in our lives for new things to spring up? Where in our communities or in our world do new things need to grow? Where might we be a part of creating and life-giving practices? 
Second theme, God as Redeemer. This is the experience of God as one who transforms and makes new, the one who gives life and invites us to wholeness. This is often understood and experienced in the life of Jesus. The text that reminds me of this is, is, is from a letter Paul writes to the Roman church. They were arguing over who was included in God's care, who was worthy of God's love. And so I'll invite us to listen to Paul's answer to that. What then are we to say about these things? If God is for us, who is against us? Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will hardship or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. This letter that Paul writes to the Romans is one of my favorite texts because Paul writes what we all need to hear again and again and again. Nothing can separate us from God's love. Nothing, nothing big or small can separate us from God's love. Sometimes those words are hard to believe. Every week at Hillhurst United, we say these words. We say, you are loved, you are forgiven, you are set free. This is the redeeming assurance and work of God. It is indeed good news to be heard as much as possible. Where did I notice this redeeming work this week? This week, I noticed it in the sunrise. This always reminds me of the hope that a fresh day brings. A chance to begin again, to wipe it clean and start over. I don't know about you, but I need that day, every day. <laughs> Our creed says to reconcile and make new. And so I notice this also in my kids, who give me another chance even when I'm not the parent that I want to be. I notice this in our puppy, who seems to forget when we aren't as patient as we want to be, and he's ready to give us kisses again and again and again. And so the picture that I have um, to represent the redeeming work of God is this picture. It's a picture of compost. <laughs> Have you been getting into composting? <laughs> Stay with me on this. But this mess of a pile of leftovers and apple cores, and what else do we see in there? Some tomatoes, perhaps, dead flowers. This turns into something that renews the earth. It is resurrection in a bucket, as one scholar says. Think about it, though. If something so messy and unappealing has the chance to turn into something beautiful, sign me up. It reminds me that even when things look dead and hopeless, something else is at work. Renewing, redeeming, restoring. 
And also, it reminds me that everything is important. All are included in God's love, and all are included in God's redeeming work. If we believe truly that nothing can separate us from God's love, then we also have to acknowledge that we're all included in that care, no matter what, no matter how messy or how many mistakes we have made. Maybe we need to hear Paul's words this week and claim them for ourselves. Maybe we need to practice loving ourselves and our neighbors. Where might we notice those who feel disconnected or unloved or on the margins in our families or in our communities or somewhere else in the world? How might we participate in the restoration and inclusion of everybody? Third theme, God as sustainer. This is often attributed to the work of the Holy Spirit, the presence of God with us. In our United Church of Canada Creed, we affirm that God works in us and others by the Spirit, and that God is with us. We are not alone. I love those words, and they reassure me. They seem to come up when I need to hear them the most. We are not alone. In the next text, we're going to hear about how the disciples were worried about what they were going to do after Jesus died, and Jesus assures them that God's presence would be with them. Listen for that assurance in this text from the Gospel of John. If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to be with you forever. This is the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him because he abides with you, and he will be in you. I will not leave you orphaned. I am coming to you. In a little while, the world will no longer see me, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will know that I am in in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. They who have my commandments and keep them are those who love me. And those who love me will be loved by my Father, and I will love them and reveal myself to them. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will reveal yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, Those who love me will keep my word, and my Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but is from the Father who sent me. I have said these things to you while I am still with you, but the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you everything and remind you of all that I have said to you. Peace I leave leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not let them be afraid. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Amen. The 
this presence of God that John describes is something that resonates with my experience. I am aware of God's presence in times of joy and in grief. Sometimes the presence I feel is encouraging, and sometimes it's comforting. Sometimes, sometimes I don't like to recognize it, sometimes it's prodding, right? Trying to invite me or push me into something to get going. Often it is sustaining. I often notice this presence in the mountains. Maybe you do too. They renew and refresh, enliven and sustain. Give me rest when I am weary. I believe it was John Muir, the great naturalist, who said, In wilderness lies the hope of the world. Our creed invites us to pay attention to the ways God works in us and others by the Spirit. I notice this in people who sustain me, in the encouragement of a friend or the love I get from my family, those who walk with me in times when I'm celebrating and also in times of sadness and sorrow. I notice this in people that, um, whose work I read. I notice this in theologians like Father Greg Boyle and Anne Lamott, Barbara Brown Taylor, to name a few. I also think about how this was nurtured and how it was sustained as I was growing up in the work of, of Sunday school teachers I had and pillars of the church who showed up and cared for me and showed me what it meant to walk in the ways of Jesus. The picture that I took to capture the presence of God as sustainer this week is this picture. These are friends of ours gathered on our porch. This community sustains me. They are the ones in whom I feel God's sustaining spirit. Most often they are encouragers and supporters, advocates, and also prodders. So my question is, how might we be a sustaining presence to somebody this week? Is there a friend who needs a phone call, a chat over coffee, some encouraging words? Maybe there's an organization that is doing sustaining work in our community that we might donate our time or our money. Or maybe we need to spend some time in ways that encourage or enliven us. Where might we find and experience God's sustaining presence? All around us, in the natural world and in our relationships, in our joys and in our sorrow, God is indeed with us as creator, as redeemer, as sustainer. There are so many ways to experience the divine in our lives and in the world. God as vast and expansive beyond comprehension and also as close as our breath and everything else in between. My hope and prayer for you and for me this week is that we may walk with our eyes and our hearts open to the divine presence in us and all around us, and that we might hear the invitation to be God's creating and redeeming and sustaining partners in our families and in our communities and in our world. May it be so. Amen. Hymn. Thank you.